We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm Max Torres, and we are here to give you a preview of the Oregon Ducks versus the Eastern Washington Eagles. And to do that, I am joined by a very good friend of mine, Andrew Quinn. He is the weekend sports anchor over at Creme 2 News in Spokane, Washington. And one of the handful of teams that he covers in the Inland Northwest is the Eastern Washington Eagles. How are we doing, Andrew? Thanks for being here, man. Doing good, Max. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, obviously, I'm sure it's a kind of a rough week there in Ducks country, but uh yeah, I'm excited for this game this weekend, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, man, super amped to uh, get this get this uh, podcast uh, knocked out. Uh, for, for you guys, if you have been following me for a while, Krem was actually one of the first spots I got my uh, start in the industry. Uh, I remember I drove like an hour or two uh, out to, I can't remember the, the place, but it was eight, some eight-man football that I covered for Krem. Uh, and that was my you know, first time behind a camera uh, in, a, in a sports capacity. Uh, and then Andrew was one of my good buddies, you know, from Gonzaga. So we're both Zags. So uh, with both of our teams, you know, overlapping here, I, I was excited to uh, to bring him on. But we got plenty to talk about, Andrew, because Oregon's coming off a very, very rough season opener uh, against Georgia. We all know we don't have to harp too much on the score there. Uh, but there's plenty that we can still talk about as far as just kind of setting the stage for this game. So I wanted to get your take on, on Eastern Washington and kind of maybe some of the challenges that they present. Um, so maybe we could just kind of get some of your thoughts from uh, from week one. Uh, Eastern welcomed in Tennessee State, and they were able to uh, edge out a 36-29 win at home. Yeah, uh, honestly, didn't know what to expect from Eastern going into week one. Uh, I'd followed them all fall camp. I'd been in Cheney covering the team, and we didn't get much of a look at their new starting quarterback, Gunnar Talkington. He's obviously taking over for the best player in the country at the FCS level last year on offense in Eric Barrier. So we really, Gunnar was kind of an unknown. He's an undersized guy. He's listed at 5'10 on the depth chart. He's probably a little bit smaller than that, but um, the Eags kind of found a way to keep him a little bit hidden from us in the media throughout uh, fall camp. But uh, on Saturday, he definitely, he definitely showed that he's, he's ready for this opportunity. He was simply sensational. Uh, he threw for five touchdowns. The offense was moving. He did have a couple of plays where 
he had a guy wide open and he overshot him. I would chalk that up to week one nerves being a starter for the first time. You know, this is a sixth year senior, but this is a guy who walked on at Eastern Washington. So really an incredible story. Um, but Gunner was fantastic. You know, he didn't turn the ball over. He made some really, really nice throws downfield and he really did shine in his debut on the defensive side of the ball. It was, it was sort of a mixed bag for Eastern Washington. You know, they started off the game, the first play of the game, Tennessee state runs a little jet sweep, little pop pass. They've got the wide receiver wrapped up in the backfield. I believe it was Zach Dobson for Tennessee state. They have him completely wrapped up for no gain and nobody decides to bring him to the turf. And he takes off and scores a touchdown. Two later drives in the first half, they give up big play touchdowns because they couldn't tackle. And you're, you're kind of sitting there thinking, oh, man, you know, the defense was supposed to be one of the strengths of this Eastern Washington team. They're very veteran on defense. But for the first half, we were, uh, we were a little bit shocked at the display that they had. But in the second half and towards the end of the first half, they got – a little bit of a break. Tennessee State, uh, the quarterback ran into the running back. He fumbled the ball. Defense recovers. And then Talkington led a quick touchdown drive there. Next possession, Brock Harrison, who's one of their uh, leaders on defense. He gets a strip sack. They get another touchdown. All of a sudden, in what was a back-and-forth game, Eastern Washington had opened up a 10-point lead. Then, obviously, in the second half, we have a wacky 55-minute weather delay. Uh, for lightning and that kind of stopped their momentum right there and then Tennessee State came back to tie the game with about six and a half to go and then Talkington just led a spectacular drive I mean he was I think he was five for five on the drive he connected with with Efton Chisholm who is going to be a big matchup problem for the Ducks I believe on Saturday we'll get into that a little bit later connected with him several times on the drive he caught a diving touchdown pass in that corner of the end zone to put the Eags up 36-29. And then last drive, Tennessee State had a little bit of poor clock management and ended up just kind of heaving one up into triple coverage there at the end. And Trey Weed came away with the interception to seal the game. So kind of a mixed bag for Eastern. I was very impressed with Gunnar Talkington in his first game. Obviously, he was the Big Sky Offensive Player of the Week in Week 1. Um so definitely something that the Ducks are going to have to keep an eye on. He's able to scramble. He can get out of the pocket. Um, but certainly very impressive uh, as a first-year starter on on uh, on Saturday during week one. What a nice uh, recap. I mean, I just <laughs> threw, threw that to you, and you just ran with it. And, and funny enough, uh, I think I was telling you before this, or maybe I didn't, but when I was searching for highlights, your your package on the game was the first thing that showed up. So – uh, I definitely had to give that a give that a watch, and I'll uh, I'll see if I can find the link and then throw it in the chat so that uh, some of the Duck fans in here can uh, see you in action and uh, and you know get get some more of your thoughts and see what this team looks like that they're going to be welcoming into into town in Eugene in just a couple of days. Um, just a couple of quick notes: uh, we're still getting hit with this nice uh, crisp heat wave on the West Coast, so I have my fan here and my fan up here, so I'm going to be muting myself when I'm not talking to try to keep the audio uh, as good as it can be. Um, but yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing some people in the comments here too, in the live chat. So welcome into the live chat. If you guys are watching us live on YouTube, youtube.com slash Oregon football, Max Torres is where you can find us. But 
Andrew, I really like your thoughts there on Gunnar Talkington. I think that's really where you want to start when you're breaking down any team, right? Is the quarterback the most important position on the field? A bit of a unique dynamic for him because he is such a veteran, but this was his first start, I think you were saying, against Tennessee State after serving as a backup. Um, I will say, you know, his hometown, Battleground, Washington, that's got to be one of the coolest hometowns I've ever heard. Um, But it looks like this is someone that uh, the Ducks definitely can't sleep on. Um, because they, they didn't do a great job getting pressure on the quarterback on Stetson Bennett in week one. And that was a, an issue all throughout last season. So the fact that he can just sling the ball left and right, definitely a, a pass-heavy attack is, is going to be something to keep an eye on. And when the play breaks down, it looks like he's uh, he's got that veteran composure to k- still make something happen with his legs if he needs to. Yeah, he certainly does. And it's it's something that was kind of surprising to me. And it's something, you know, I talked to Coach Best yesterday. And he, we asked him if anything Gunner did on Saturday surprised him. And he simply said, no, he said, this is the Gunner Talkington that we've known we've had. He was just sitting behind the best player in America for the last few years and Gage Gubru before that, who ended up transferring to Washington state uh, to a power five school there. So Eastern Washington has been blessed with good quarterbacks over the last few years. And it looks like through week one, that Gunner is not going to, let that tradition go by the wayside at all. I mean, obviously one week is not enough to kind of crown anybody or, or say anything really about any team or any one player. Um, I'm sure as Ducks fans can attest after their week one showing, but um, he certainly did look poised. It didn't look like the moment was too big for him. And especially there late, it's a tie ball game, six minutes to go. And he showed out like a true veteran, even though it was his first real start in a real game situation for Eastern Washington. And yes, he's old, but you know, it's also, this is his first real opportunity. So I was really impressed with Gunner. And I think it is something that the ducks are going to have to be wary of, especially the fact that he can be a dual threat from time to time. Numbers from Saturday for Gunner Talkington, 29 for 46, 348 yards and five touchdowns only got brought down for one sack. Uh, But then, like you said, there he is with his legs, Uh, had the most carries of anybody on the Eagles, nine carries for 60 yards, averaging 6.7 yards a pop. So he's got a little bit of dual threat in his game for sure, Andrew. Um, And and I wanted to go back to a point that you mentioned about, you know, you can't crown him after week one, because I feel like that's that week one mindset or just, you know, taking things after one game is something that has been very prevalent uh, on Oregon Twitter, certainly on my timeline. Uh, just about, you know, fan, a lot of people were saying, you know, this team doesn't deserve to be ranked. And then they fell out of the AP poll yesterday, uh, tumbling from 11 all the way to 26, if you want to call it that, being the team that received the the most votes that wasn't inside the top 25. So I think that as ugly as last week was for Oregon, I don't think, and I've, I've had a couple stories on my site that have said as much, I don't think that you can judge Dan Lanning and you can judge this Duck team after one week. You certainly can't write them off. They, they said, Dan Lanning said after the game, you know, all of our goals are still ahead of us, whether that be a Pac-12 title or a New Year's Six Bowl, hopefully for Oregon. Um, so I guess just from from another, from an outsider's perspective, what, what kind of perspective do you think you take? How do you react to Oregon's week one showing ahead of this game? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, and it's something I even asked Coach Best about yesterday. I said, you know, what can you as a coach take from film that coach Lanning and his staff is probably just going to flush and say, you know what, 
we're, we're just moving on from that. You know, obviously Georgia is a great team. They showed it on Saturday and they're going to be one of the best teams in the nation this year. But obviously Ducks fans uh, expected similar from this year's team. And obviously they didn't show up on Saturday. And so I asked Coach Bess and he said, basically, you know, they're they're a brand new team. You know, they're they're going to be put instituting a new offense, you know, a couple tweaks on defense. You know, it was Bo Nix's first start as a duck. And yes, he didn't look great. But then again, he was playing one of the best defenses in the in NCAA football this year. So I think. A week one, yes, it, it would have been nice to see Oregon play a little bit better than they did, even if they would have ended up losing that game. But I think week one overreactions are always going to be there. And it's the same thing with Eastern, you know. Yes, the defense looked problematic from time to time, but they also stepped up. And I think if Bo was able to lead a couple of those late drives for touchdowns, you know, maybe it would be a little bit of a different story. So I think. Week one, yes, it's on paper. Yes, it's on film. But I believe it's something that Oregon coaches are probably going to flush. And uh, I think, you know, they're just going to move on to this week. But I, I definitely don't think Eastern Washington is a team that Oregon can overlook either. I think uh, Eastern Eastern is capable. We've seen it before. Uh, they went into Oregon State a few years ago and absolutely trounced a ranked, a ranked Oregon State team. Uh, granted, that team had a uh, Super Bowl champion and an MVP on their team in Cooper Cup, but uh, I really do think Eastern could give Oregon some issues if, if they end up getting overlooked this weekend. But I feel like Oregon is going to come out on Saturday with a lot of intensity, a lot of anger. You know, they just dropped from 11 out of the top 25. That's almost unprecedented. So. I think you're going to see a different Ducks team on Saturday, and that's something that Eastern's going to have to deal with as well. Yeah, you mentioned Oregon's coaching staff is definitely going to want to probably flush the film since there weren't a ton of positives. We'll get into some of those um, in this show, but I think one one kind of lens that I want to look at this game from it is kind of a little bit uh, related to last year. Uh, I, I was with the team when they were in Columbus, and they got that huge win over Ohio State. I know that one wasn't your favorite uh, game of the season, Andrew Bede, an Ohio State fan. Um, but uh, but they came back to Eugene after that. And a big talking point throughout the week with the previous coaching staff and this team was, how do we respond? How do we look after getting this huge win? Because then you have what a lot of people think is a cupcake matchup with Stony Brook. And they, they ended up winning handedly, but, but Stony Brook st- uh, stuck around for a little bit. Ty Thompson got in the game for his most notable snaps uh, of all last year. And I feel like it's kind of a similar deal, even though they're coming off of a massive loss, because nationally, Eastern Washington isn't viewed as a major, major powerhouse. Um, I think they are at the at the FCS rank, but uh, to, just to kind of further your point, I feel like it's a team that they can't take lightly, and I don't think they're going to. The, the last team that the the last time these two teams squared off, they had Cooper Cup on their team, and, and all he did was rack up 15 catches for 246 yards and three touchdowns. What a duel that was, uh, since that was also, I believe, the debut of Vernon Adams, the former Eastern Washington quarterback. So we're seeing some more connections coming into play here. But yeah, I think that that Oregon's going to have to do what they can to kind of flush last week, uh, you know, out of their mind and, and just, you know, view this as a new opportunity. And, and Dan Lanning kind of said as much when he was meeting with the media earlier this week, saying, 
I want this game to be one where we go out and kind of establish our identity on both sides of the ball, you know, be a team that, um, that can go ahead and score points. That's obviously something we didn't see last week. First time not scoring a touchdown since 2017 and then missed tackle after missed tackle, just getting bullied around like every play or left and right, you know, there was something you could point to. So I feel like that's kind of the lens that I'm looking at this game through. If I'm looking at it, like, uh, you know, from an Oregon perspective. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's definitely going to be a game where Oregon is going to have to deal with an Eastern Washington offense that loves to throw the ball and they like to move the ball down the field in big play form. Like this is a team that, that gets plays in bunches. You know, this isn't a team that's going to run three yards two yards and then you're set up third and five and then it's like oh how do we get to the sticks right now eastern washington likes to move the ball down the field so there will be big play opportunities for oregon's defense but it's also an opportunity for eastern to kind of catch that secondary maybe creeping up a little bit or maybe maybe ball hawking in a sense because eastern washington one of the strengths of this team is their wide receiving core they have three really good wide receivers they're strong they're good with the ball. They're veteran. They know how to run routes. And it's something that could really help the the Eags on Saturday against the Ducks defense that for all intents and purposes was kind of a no-show on Saturday against Georgia. So obviously there's a lot of stars on that Oregon defense. Don't take anything away from them. But I think that Eastern Washington could definitely exploit some holes, which we saw on Saturday. And I think if the Ducks aren't careful, they could be really be in for a duel with Eastern Washington. Yeah, and I, that was one of my biggest question marks throughout the entire offseason. Not necessarily the defense, but Andrew, the secondary. Because you lose a lot of production from a year ago, as we all know, with Mikel Wright. Uh, he's a parted, and then DJ James transferred to Auburn. Um, Verone McKinley III. Uh, goes to the NFL and he was really the the vocal leader of that defense so those aren't guys that are going to be easy to replace but they bring in Christian Gonzalez and I, and I think you probably expected a little bit more of an impressive debut uh, but again I mean I, I don't want to be harping on these guys the defense did not play great but you can't have a much more difficult first game of the season uh, against Georgia so I think that you know for as much as fans and college football fans in general want to criticize Oregon you, you, it only gets better from here. You know, you're only going up from here. But but to that point, they're still going to have to figure out their rotation in the secondary. It feels like Bennett Williams is the main guy that's cemented in there along with Christian Gonzalez. We saw a lot of Triquez bridges at corner um, after being a guy that kind of flip-flopped throughout positions. Uh, we know that Demetrius Martin likes to really harp on versatility and having guys do a bunch of different things. But maybe it makes sense to have guys, you know, hone in on, on maybe like one position or one role at least in this game, kind of as a get-right game. Uh, and then you have Steve Stevens that's going to be there. He's got a guy that's been at Oregon for a long time, so see if he can make some impact at safety, as well as Jamal Hill, who hasn't really done a whole lot since that Pac-12 championship game against USC. So there, there's still some question marks that this Oregon defense is trying to figure out, and I think that a lot of those big questions loom in the secondary. So um, so some dangerous receiving options that, that you bring up there, Andrew, I think will be a good opportunity for this Oregon defense to really see where they're at. Um, just play good fundamental football and, you know, be in your assignment and the right area, you know, don't have any mental lapses, but you, you mentioned that there's a lot of talented guys uh, as far as their receivers go. Can, can you just hit on a couple more of them and, you know, give us some more specifics about maybe who we should watch for? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to touch on it real quick. Just like you said, the fact that East or that Oregon is still kind of feeling out their secondary and trying to see like who's going to play where and who's going to be the tandems that they put in the in the backfield there on the defense. That could really cause problems. If their communication isn't good on Saturday, they could really be in for some trouble with Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington has a senior receiver on the outside. He's number one. His name's Freddie Roberson. He's been with the program for a long time. Uh, Tall, good hands. He did fumble last week, but Tennessee State kind of made a point of trying to strip the ball away. And so you could see after that that fumble that he had uh, on the first drive of the game, He did a better job with ball security there at the end. He almost got in for a touchdown in that game. Just uh, instead of taking it to the pylon, he went towards the end zone and got tackled at the one-yard line. He takes it to the pylon. He's in for a touchdown. But Freddie Roberson, he's a big play guy. He's a big-bodied receiver. He'll be able to create some space, I think, on the outside against some of these Oregon corners. Uh, Another guy is Nolan Ulm. He's their big play wide receiver. He's only a sophomore. But this dude can play. I talked to Nolan yesterday, and he said, you know, going into this game, you know, everyone's going to talk about, oh, how none of the players at Eastern got recruited by Oregon, and they're kind of going up against guys who who people would see as more talented and bigger, stronger, faster from being in a Power 5 conference. But you know what? Nolan said he grew up playing against Seven McGee. So, you know, these guys grew up together. They've played together at different camps and stuff. And Nolan had a touchdown. He had another big play deep down the field on Saturday. He is a big-bodied receiver for just being a sophomore. He's a good route runner. He's fast. He's strong. And I really think he's a guy that that Oregon's going to have to contend with. He's he's a really big, deep play threat. So I you got to watch him going over the top. Uh, Gunner was able to hit him in stride several times deep over the top. So. It's not going to be an issue of Gunner's arm strength. They're getting the ball to him. But Nolan's definitely going to be a guy that uh, Oregon's going to have to contend with. And last, lastly, Efton Chisholm. And this is, the, this is the go-to guy. This is the go-to guy on offense for Eastern. He's a little bit undersized. But, you know, I compare him to Wes Welker. I think he sticks his foot in the ground. He makes good cuts. He's able to find pockets of space and get open. And I think he's going to be a real, real challenge for the Oregon defense whether they put a nickel corner on him, whether they put some linebackers on him from time to time, I really think he's going to be a big matchup problem for Oregon on Saturday. He's the guy, number 89, I think that you need to watch out for. He was their go-to guy on third down on Saturday. He was the guy on the final drive when they needed a score to put that game away. He was the go-to guy. So Efton Chisholm is someone who I think will really put his mark on this game. And if Oregon is able to control him. They may be able to handle Eastern Washington on Saturday. Okay, so we know the guy, some of the guys that, that Oregon and uh, their defense really need to hone in on. Uh, when you were just talking about Efton there, I feel like I was kind of thinking back to, to Lad McConkie and how he was able to just kind of have his way with the Oregon defense and maybe wasn't someone that was super highly regarded. I believe on the broadcast they were saying he was a former walk-on. Um, so it, stars don't matter, as we all know, once, you know, once you strap up the pads and, and you line up across from another guy in another Jersey. So I don't think that this Oregon defense should be taking anybody lightly. Um, but I do feel like they should have a, a physical advantage on both sides of the ball. As far as the trenches go, 
um, because that was something I wanted to talk about today. But I I appreciate you kind of getting us up to speed on on some of the some of the guys that we need to watch for here with uh, with Eastern Washington. We haven't really talked about the ground game too much, aside from Gunnar Talkington, uh, as as I mentioned earlier in the show, that he led the way uh, rushing the ball for the Eagles. Uh, but 143 yards on 32 carries, 3.9 yards a pop as a team against Tennessee State. So I think that Oregon's strength has really been running the ball or defending the run, um, especially with some of the pieces that they were able to bring in uh, through the transfer portal. Um, maybe we could transition a little bit here just to Oregon defending the run mm-hmm. and trying to slow down this team because we got a pretty notable update on Monday, Andrew that uh, senior defensive tackle Popo Amavai would be missing the rest of the 2022 season with a foot injury. Um, he since uh, reported that he got surgery and it was a successful surgery. Um, so that that's definitely some a step in the right direction for him. But he was really the face of the interior defensive line along with Brandon Dorless. So because he was unable to go against um, against Georgia, that was an injury that happened just in the days leading up to that game from what I was told when I was talking to some people around the program. The program, excuse me, uh, as Lanny would say, and as we say here on the Ducks Dish podcast, uh, we saw a lot of those new pieces getting some pretty significant reps in that first game uh, for Oregon, whether it be Jordan Riley or Casey Rogers, both of which came over from uh, Nebraska and were coached up by Tony Tuioti over there uh, in Lincoln. Um, so I think that for Oregon, it's not a red flag necessarily, but it's, it's interesting that this is a pass-heavy team because that definitely hasn't been their strength last year and then so far this year uh you know georgia pretty much did whatever they wanted on on offense so not only are we going to have to have pretty solid coverage and and you know discipline from the secondary but man that oregon front's going to have to get some pressure on gunner talkington because uh they they were basically not able to get any pressure on stetson bennett and then when they did they couldn't finish the play so then stetson bennett was able to you know have that that poise and that composure that we talk about with a veteran quarterback and that could be the same case a little bit here with uh with Gunner on Saturday. Yeah, that's a good point you make, Max. And I think Eastern, they're still trying to figure out who is going to be running the ball for them this year. You know, they kind of mixed and matched with four different guys on Saturday. You know, we saw a little bit of Tuna Alta here. We saw a little bit of Devontae Smith. We saw a little bit of Micah Smith. And then we saw a little bit of Justice Jackson. And we saw a little bit of Silas Perea as well. So they're still trying to figure out who's going to run the ball. But these are some guys that can pick up yards. And if if the Ducks are going to sit back and cover three all game long, you know, Eastern is going to run the ball and be able to get a, a few chunk plays uh, from that. So I think the point you make about the front seven needing to step up is, is a good one because Eastern is going to run the ball. They're not going to throw the ball 70 times a game, you know. They will run the ball. Um, obviously, I didn't see a whole lot from the running backs on Saturday to make me think that it'll be a huge issue for Oregon to stop the run on Saturday, but I certainly think that Eastern will be running the ball. They do have Micah Smith is a big body guy. He is a an NFL type running back. He's got a, he's got good size for a running back and like I said before I was talking to Nolan Olm yesterday and he talked about how a lot of these guys that play for Eastern Washington, you know, they see Cooper they want to go to the NFL too. And if they want to go to the NFL, they're going to have to play against guys like Oregon. They're going to have to beat these guys if they want to go to the NFL. Cause there's a lot of guys on that Oregon team right now that are going to be NFL guys. So you want to talk about Oregon having a chip on their shoulder coming into this game, being ticked off 
about be getting knocked out of the AP top 25, having that bad taste in their mouth after getting stomped by Georgia, you know, East, these Eastern Washington guys are going to have a chip on their shoulder too. So these running backs are going to be running hard as well. But I think if Oregon's front seven, you know, stays strong and uh, can handle the run like they have in previous years, um, I think I think they should be fine on that side of the ball uh, on on Saturday. Keon Ware Hudson is another guy worth mentioning. Uh, if we're talking about defending the run and then just the trenches for Oregon on defense because he was one of three defensive line starters for Oregon that uh, that was working through injury and wasn't available throughout the entirety of spring ball. So Brandon Doris, Popo Amavai, and then Keon Ware Hudson were all unavailable. We all already know that Popo is not going to be available, but I think Keon had a good showing in his first game back. Heck of a game to get back from injury from. Um, but you talk about just the the front seven staying disciplined. I think that that's something that we're definitely going to be looking for this week uh, from from Noah Sewell and from Justin Flo. Um, since that, I mean, that's one positive is that Justin Flo stayed healthy for after that game because I mean we we saw how well he played against Fresno State last year. And then he got hurt and, you know, Oregon fans were just wondering, well, like you're going to play like that. And then now we, we don't get to see you the rest of the season. That's definitely a bummer. Um, but he stayed healthy. So that was good. Um, and I think that Oregon should be able to defend the run with some of the other guys that they have on the edge. You know, you have Braden Swinson, DJ Johnson, Mace Funa, Trevin Maya. They have a lot of big bodies that I think they're feeling comfortable rotating in to, to slow down the run. Um, but I think that that it's going to be interesting to see how Eastern Washington utilizes the run seeing that they're such a pass happy team pass heavy team uh andrew we had a question from one of our viewers uh that was for you so i wanted to hit on that question and then we'll go into a quick break for those listening on podcast uh gerard asks uh andrew who on oregon do you think the coaching staff at eastern washington is game planning around well i think i think the biggest uh answer to that question is bo nix i mean i think i think we all saw Bo play uh, in week one, and it was, again, kind of a mixed bag. I mean, he looked good at times, but those were very brief times. And then the interceptions, obviously, killers, like drive killers. You can't be turning the ball over, and that's one difference between Bo and Gunner Talkington in week one. Gunner didn't turn the ball over, and, and Bo unfortunately did, and it kind of put Oregon behind the eight ball to the point where they had to start taking – some other shots and some things that maybe they didn't want to um, early on, but you know, Eastern has a new defensive coordinator this year. I think that's something that is going to be, you know, something that Eastern has to figure out because like I said, in week one, they gave up three big play touchdowns and it was because they couldn't tackle. The communication was poor. And so I think they need to keep Bo Nix moving. That is going to be the biggest key for Eastern Washington on Saturday. They need to get him off his spot. They need to get him moving and put him in a position where he has to make a decision and throw the ball down the field. I think when you saw that on Saturday, it wasn't always the right decision from Bo Nix. And I think that's something that Eastern's defense is going to have to do. They need to get pressure on Bo Nix. I think it's going to be a good matchup on the outside when it comes to receiver versus corner. Probably going to see Seven McGee matched up with Demetrius Crosby, who I believe is an NFL guy. He's a junior. He plays nasty. He's a strong guy. Uh, talks a lot. Kind of, you could maybe relate him to Jalen Ramsey a little bit. Um, he's a tough physical corner. And I think that whoever he ends up being matched up with is going to be a, a big matchup as well. So 
But I really think that the biggest thing for Eastern's defense coming into Saturday is make Bo Nix leave the pocket. And if they're able to do that, let's see. Let's see if Bo Nix is able to handle that. And if he's not, Eastern could be in a position where they could shock the world and pull off an upset in Autzen on Saturday. Yeah, Bo is definitely looking to uh, have a stronger performance than the first game against Georgia. And uh, Dan Laney was asked about what he's looking for as far as improvement-wise from Bo Nix. And, and it really came down to just taking care of the ball, you know, not making things more complicated than they need to be. But with your point, Andrew, what's interesting is that Bo is not a pocket quarterback. I w- at least I wouldn't say so. So it's kind of an interesting balance that they want him to be in the pocket at a cert- to a certain extent to be able to push the ball down the field. Um, I, I mean, even though the, the interception that he threw was definitely a tough one, I was glad that he at least showed that he was bold enough to take that risk because we didn't see that much from uh, Anthony Brown last year. And then the the DB, credit to him, just made a heck of a play. Um, and maybe, maybe the ball could have been placed in a better spot too. You know, Bo's not without fault there, but I thought that was a positive takeaway. So we want to see Bo in the pocket, you know, from an Oregon perspective, I think, uh, just to see him be able to stand upright and not have to scramble as much. But at the same time, the argument can be made, Andrew, that he's almost better outside the pocket when he's able to create and kind of improvise, but that's also where he ends up getting himself into trouble sometimes. So I think that you'll have to find a healthy balance of that. And, and you know, if one's working, then just stick with that. Exactly. And I think it's a great point you make, because if you remember watching Bo at Auburn, he was always moving. He was always running. Uh, it seemed a lot on third down. He was trying to run for first downs on his own because his wide receivers couldn't create separation. But I talking yesterday to Eastern Washington, Brock Harrison said, we want to make him move. We want to put him in the position where he has to make that decision. Is he going to try and thread the ball downfield to one of his receivers or is he going to try and run for it? And I think that, you know, on this past Saturday, he made a couple of decisions where could have been questionable or maybe if he makes a better throw, maybe he makes a better decision then it works out better for Oregon. But I think that's one thing that Eastern's looking to do is, you know, get him outside the pocket and make him make those decisions. Yeah, one of my uh, one of my good buddies, I actually had him on the podcast last week to uh, preview the Oregon-Georgia game. Brooks Austin, he runs the, the Fan Nation SI site covering Georgia. I was following his tweets after the game, and he was saying he was so surprised that Bo didn't run more, that there weren't that many QB design QB run plays. I was looking at the stats right now, eight carries for 37 yards. That actually led the Ducks. Uh, against Georgia so maybe we do see Bo run some more um, to just try to get him more involved and just add that new dynamic to to the offense for Oregon to, to kind of try to get uh, get Eastern Washington you know uh, a little bit uncomfortable but uh, we're right around the halfway mark so we're going to take a quick break for those of you listening on the podcast but don't go anywhere we got more Oregon versus Eastern Washington preview with my guy Andrew Quinn after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are breaking down our uh, preview of the Oregon Ducks against the Eastern Washington Eagles. That game is set for a 5.30 p.m. kickoff in Eugene at Autzen Stadium uh, on Pac-12 Network. It's going to be a hot one. I believe the most recent forecast said that it's supposed to be around 100 degrees uh, at kickoff. So uh, they also switched the the color for, for fans from black to yellow. Um, so a little programming update there to, to try to stay, you know fight the heat a little bit. Um but uh, I wanted to kind of get into more of the Oregon angle, Andrew. We, we definitely went Eastern Washington heavy, and we got a bunch of really good stuff from you in the first half of the show. We talked about Bo Nix and how he's going to play a pivotal role in the Oregon offense bouncing back. Uh, but I really feel like for this game, a lot of fans, at least for me, I would be more concerned about the defense um, heading into this game just because I expected Georgia to you know be able to do their thing, and, and I didn't expect Oregon to win last week but for Oregon to look as you know unfundamentally sound as they did for all the missed tackles and and you know mental errors just looking sloppy and and, and unprepared I feel like that was a huge shock not only because of the experience and production that they have returning in the front seven um, but also because of the the you know coaching staff that they assembled and Dan Lanning be being a heralded defensive mind but I say all that with, you know, it is just one game. I'm not calling for his job. I, I think that's ridiculous for fans that are saying that. I've seen that a couple times about like an early hot seat for landing. Like, come on, we got to chill out here. But I, I say all that to say I was very surprised that Oregon looked as out of sorts as they did on defense last week. So I think that you really just want to be looking for sound fundamentals above all else. Make plays when you're there and, and don't try to do too much. Yeah, and I think it's a great point, and you just said it. I mean, Dan Lanning came in. He's a defensive guy, so you would expect his defense to have shown up a little bit better against an SEC team, and quite frankly, they just simply did not. And I think it's something that you've got to look forward to this weekend. You want to see how they show up. You know, I've been hearing a lot about Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. I want to see how they play. You know, you mentioned Christian Gonzalez bringing, bringing him into the secondary um, I think there's plenty of good guys on this Ducks team, on especially on the defensive side of the ball, that are probably going to be NFL guys. Um, but they certainly they didn't bring it on Saturday. You know that's a that's a big game. It's against an SEC team. I get it. Stetson Bennett. You know he's a national champion now. But at the end of the day, I think everybody expected more from Oregon's defense. And so you know, to be fair, it is the first week with a new coach and new coordinators and new. Uh, kind of position coaches. So I guess you can kind of give them a break on that. But I mean, especially for Ducks fans, for you guys, um, I think I think you should definitely be seeking a lot more out of your defense this week. And I think a big part of that, there's a couple of uh, kind of keys that I wanted to, to hit on here. Um, we talked about the tackling. Sam Taimani, the, the nose tackle, was speaking with the media today and talking about how that they're just doing a ton of tackle drills this week because that was an area that they were way, way deficient in. Uh, I already talked about Noah Sewell and Justin Flo needing to step up. I mean, those are the guys that are kind of the heartbeat of the defense. Uh, if, if you've watched Justin Flo play, he just plays like he's 
absolutely possessed, you know, after a good play, you know, hitting his head and just going absolutely nuts. That's the kind of energy that the Oregon defense is going to need to captivate and then really just keep that going throughout the entire game uh, on Saturday against the Eagles. But another huge area that they need to improve in, Andrew, is defending the perimeter. I don't feel like Georgia did anything super, super complicated, uh, at least offensively. It was just they they saw what Oregon wasn't able to do well, and they just kept exposing it time and time again. So whether that be you know running outside zones or some slip screens or getting the tight ends involved, we saw Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers leave their mark on that game. I think defending the perimeter has to be a major, major uh, point of emphasis for Oregon. And Dan Lenning also said, you know, being able to tackle on the perimeter and and blow up blocks, block destruction. But then on the offensive end, you got to do your work there too, be able to break some tackles and keep plays alive. So I think the perimeter on both sides of the ball is somewhere that we really need to see Oregon step up against Eastern Washington. And it really feels like this is a good game for them to to be able to kind of get right and find themselves and, and really define that Georgia game was not our team. This is how we're going to be for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity to bounce back for Oregon, definitely. But as I said all along there in the first half hour, Eastern Washington's receivers on the perimeter, they're not – and they're no slouches. Like, these guys are really, really solid, solid football players, and they will hurt Oregon if given the opportunity. And I think, you know, every team has tackling issues week one because – it's the age-old question, how much do you tackle in fall camp? When do you go from shells to full pads? When do you start tackling drills and make sure that you can te- keep your team healthy heading into the season? So Eastern had its share of defensive miscues from not tackling uh, on Saturday against Tennessee State. But definitely the perimeter is is going to have to be on both sides, even for Eastern Washington. And I think one aspect of this that may or may not have an impact on this game is Eastern Washington as a brand new offensive coordinator as well. Jim Chapin, he had his first game there on Saturday against Tennessee State. And so it's a possibility he didn't even run out the whole playbook against Tennessee State. And he's going to have new stuff for this Oregon game that they won't even have seen on film. So I think that's another thing that Oregon's going to have to maybe prepare for is prepare for the unexpected from the Eastern Washington offense. But like you said, the perimeter play is going to have to be good on both sides for both teams. And I believe that whichever team has the better perimeter play will, will probably win this game because as we know, Oregon's front seven is pretty stout. They should be able to stop the run against this Eastern Washington team. It's going to be, how will they play? in pass coverage against these wide receivers. Yeah, and a big part of that, as far as just how they do in coverage, starts up front with the pass rush. We talked about it a little bit earlier today, but that pass rush really wasn't all too uh, all too threatening against Georgia last week. Um, and part of that was credit to Stetson Bennett, getting the ball out very quickly. And that's something that they're going to have to look for with Gunnar Talkington as far as just getting the ball out quickly, can they make an impact and disrupt the play? Get the, Casey Rogers was talking today about how it's important for them to get their hands up to bat down some passes. Um, so I think that they're – I'm looking for the Oregon front seven to just feel more comfortable, look more explosive, push that Eastern Washington offensive line back. I mean, even if you're not getting a lot of QB hurries or getting a lot of sacks, like I just want to see that. I just want to see some physicality and uh, you know some sign of progress there um from week one to week two because I feel like that's kind of one of the coaching adages is that where that's where you see teams grow the most sometimes it's from week one to week two 
Um, and I mean, those matchups are going to be a heck of a lot easier than Georgia, not to keep dogging on Eastern Washington, but that's just the fact of the matter. Like Oregon recruits like a, you know, a uh, top 10 team. They're not necessarily playing like it right now, but they have those bodies. So look for Oregon to hopefully, you know, have the exploit those matchup advantages. But um, we know that Eastern Washington can sneak up on them with some of the crafty playmakers that, that you mentioned. Um, but I, I'm really looking for the pass rush and I don't want to see it from just one guy. If I'm an Oregon fan or if I'm an Oregon coaching staff, coaching staff member, I want to see it from a bunch of different guys. I want to see Noah Sewell getting in there, causing some havoc, Justin Flo, Brandon Dorless. Um, those are some guys you really want to get your key guys going, get a good game for them under their belts. So they can build their confidence going forward because things don't get easier uh, after Eastern Washington. You get BYU next week uh, in a really, really highly anticipated matchup. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's something that they're going to have to get better at. They're going to have to be a better defensive team this week. And like I've said all along, you know, I'm not expecting Eastern Washington to win this game by any means. But I do believe they could really cause issues if Oregon doesn't get after Gunnar Talkington and if they're not strong on the perimeter. Because I, I am very high on these wide receivers at Eastern Washington. And I believe that they really can cause some problems. But one question I had for you, Max, you know, we've talked a lot about defense, but I mean, Oregon's offense was non-existent. You didn't score a touchdown. You had one field goal on Saturday. Like, what does this offense need to do on Saturday to, to, to get back on track? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think uh, you want to kind of get your bread and butter working early. I think that Oregon's always been a run first team, and I think that'll probably still be the case under Kenny Dillingham with his offense, but it looks like it'll be a much more balanced approach versus last year with Cristobal and, and Moorhead. So I think they need to get the, the run game going early. And for as ugly as the box score was, Oregon was able to gain some good yards on the ground against a Georgia front that is super, super stout. <laughs> excuse me, 140 yards for 4.5 yards a carry. But there was so much variety with that running back rotation that maybe that maybe they were rotating guys a little bit too much. You know, you get a guy in a groove, you kind of want to feed the hot hand and, and keep him in there. So it feels like the Oregon staff is still figuring out their offensive rotation. But I think that it really starts with establishing the run because that'll open up your whole offense. Uh, take some take some risks, you know, throwing the ball. I think that Oregon fans and Oregon as a team wants to keep stretching the field vertically. Uh, they, they attempted that last week, uh, but both of those passes were picked off, unfortunately, for Oregon. So I think you want to get some of these skill guys involved. And and a big part of it, too, I think I want to see more from the tight ends. Um, we saw them get a pretty decent amount of targets last week with uh, Terrence Ferguson leading the way. But I think that those are some of the things that I would want to key in on from an offensive standpoint for Oregon. Establish the run, push the ball down the field. And just get your playmakers involved because it almost felt like there were like too many people getting touches last week. So when someone started to heat up, it was like they just kind of cooled off because they didn't get a whole bunch of opportunities. Um, but I think that's to be expected in the first week when you're still trying to figure out your rotation and, and who are going to be your go-to guys. But I think after one week, you probably have a little bit of a better feel for that. Um, so I'm just excited to see how these opportunities are kind of doled out on Saturday. Yeah, and I think, you know, we kind of take it for granted with uh, Oregon being so great for so long that you would expect them to kind of have these things already hashed out. But the fact that they're still like going through their rotations and who's going to get touches is certainly interesting. And I think you bring up an excellent point. I think running the ball and getting the tight ends involved is going to be the key to beating Eastern Washington on Saturday. I've noticed that their, their linebackers are young. They missed several tackles on Saturday. It's certainly 
I don't want to say a point of weakness, but it's it's a point where it's it's something that other teams can take advantage of. And I think there's certainly room there for Oregon to exploit if they're able to do so. I think the off, the defensive line for Eastern Washington is a veteran line. They've got some really good um, veteran players on that line that can get after the passer, that can stop the run. But once you get to that second level, I think all bets are off. We saw that last week. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to fix their tackling issues, get better communication between their young linebackers there at the second level. But I really think that if Oregon's able to break through to that second level, that could be where you find some big plays and, and where the Ducks can really shine on Saturday. And maybe that's where we see more of uh, Kenny Dillingham's offense taking hold, Andrew, is is exploiting you know some of those shortcomings or areas of weakness for Eastern Washington's defense because he talked about how he's super – focused on getting, you know, one-on-one matchups, putting guys in advantageous positions, um, whether that be getting like seven McGee, the ball in space, or, you know, getting some of these tight ends, some touches over the middle, because they were so underutilized last year that they're just chomping at the bit as are a lot of these young wide receivers uh, like Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin. They just have so many options that I feel like want to get more involved, but they just haven't really seen that volume that, that they need to, to really get a good feel for where they're at. So I think even though Oregon's wideouts are relatively young as a group, you have Chase Cota come in, you have Isaiah Crocker coming back, Chris Hudson is some of your more experienced guys. You want to get those young guys involved to uh, to just give them, show them like you know that it's a vote of confidence that they're going to be able to be relied on moving forward. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of something else that I'm looking for. Another offensive note that is uh, important for Oregon. We're still waiting to see if Ryan Walk is going to be able to go. He was the starting left guard for Oregon in Week One against Georgia. Um, he's been one of the most versatile linemen for Oregon ever since he got to Oregon. Uh, he, you'll remember last year, he shifted around a little bit, played some center for the Ducks when Alex Forsyth, the starting center was battling back spasms. Uh, but it looks like reports from practice today were that walk was absent at practice. So Marcus Harper has been getting a lot of, uh, a lot of snaps and his absence played pretty well, uh, in his, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say debut, but he said that when he spoke with reporters, it was like a thousand and fourteen days since he had contributed in a meaningful way in a game. So um, I think that he played pretty well against Georgia. So we're going to have to see what that offensive line rotation looks like. Um, we know that last year they like to rotate a lot of guys, but Adrian Clum looks like he's looking for more consistency from his group this year from a personnel standpoint. And uh, Oregon's offensive line, they've logged a whole bunch of snaps together. So I'm looking for that cohesiveness and just being on the same page. And I'm looking for that offensive line to dominate on Saturday. I think that that should absolutely be the expectation for Oregon. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, you guys, especially under Mario Cristobal, definitely put a big emphasis on recruiting big offensive linemen. And it should not be an issue against a defensive line with like kind of undersized guys like they have at Eastern Washington. But I will say, you know, they do have veteran guys on that line. Mitchell Johnson had two sacks uh, on Saturday. Brock Harrison had a sack and a forced fumble. Like, they can get after the quarterback. You know, uh, Mitchell Johnson also had a tackle for loss. These are guys that can blow up plays in the backfield. So I would expect the offensive line for Oregon to obviously perform a lot better than Tennessee State's did. But at the same time, you know, if they're – if they have a couple guys missing, if there's, you know, a couple of holes, I, I definitely would expect Eastern Washington to try and make some plays in the backfield and, and try and prevent the ball from getting to that second level where they, they may have some issues. 
Yeah, and, and one thing that was interesting after last week's game was Kirby Smart was asked kind of about the pass rush, and he was saying, well, I don't think it was that great. We didn't have any sacks, did we? Like, it is hard to sack Bo Nix. Like, that's something that I think uh, is, is definitely going to be a positive for Oregon when they head into this game. Um, not only do they have a pretty strong offensive line, but if things do break down and Bo needs to improvise, he can be uh, a pretty slippery guy when it comes to uh, these defenders trying to bring him down. Um, a good question here from Simeon on the big screen. What's up with Jackson Powers Johnson? He wasn't able to go against Georgia. Um, he's a kind of hybrid offensive line, defensive line. We're still waiting to see where he's going to be utilized. He spent most of spring ball uh, with the defensive line, but he also got involved with the offensive line. So we're not quite sure if he's going to be available to go just yet. Um, I think that was a little bit of a surprise last week. So we're waiting to see what's going to happen with Jackson Powers Johnson. I kind of feel like you could make the argument since Popo is out for the season that he's a little bit more needed on uh, defense right now. Um, but this is also like one of the deepest defensive lines that they've had in quite a while with all the pieces that they added there to the transfer portal and that they had coming back. Um, so we're going to have to see how, how that shakes out and how the offensive line looks. But, uh, you know, no sacks and a pretty decent uh, stat game, at least uh, running the ball but I know that they're going to be looking to really establish themselves in, in this game against Eastern Washington. Starting to wind down a little bit, Andrew. Um, we'll see if we get some questions here in, in the live chat before we uh, bounce out of here, but I feel like we've hit on a lot of good things. we got a pretty good feel for Eastern Washington and kind of what they uh, present for Oregon from a matchup standpoint. Some of the guys to keep an eye on definitely know a, have a better idea why we shouldn't sleep on Eastern Washington heading into this game, but any other topics that you maybe didn't get to touch on or that you wanted to hit on before we got out of here? Well, I think one thing that, that I heard yesterday at Eastern Washington pretty specifically about what, what was going wrong with Oregon's defense that they saw on film was the lack of communication on defense. And so I think that's something that you're really going to have to watch out for on Saturday. Will they be able to better communicate, especially in the defensive backfield in the secondary? Like, are those guys going to be able to communicate better, you know, pass off coverages and things like that? Because it's something that Eastern noticed on film. They they found holes in, in that defense from that Georgia game, and it was based on, you know, a lack of communication on the back end of the defense. So, I mean, Max, is that something that you noticed in game one? And and is is that a possibility that that could be something that they could uh, they could infiltrate? Yeah, I think that that was, you know, there were some times when it was pre-snap and guys were still talking to each other and it looked like they were kind of out of sorts. And uh, I think that's absolutely got to be a, a big talking point for Oregon, a big focal point for the defense uh, to have a better showing against Eastern Washington, because they have a lot of that talent on defense that I think is, is looking to, to really break out. And we just haven't seen them really play as a, as a unit. Um, you know, obviously that first game against Georgia is hard to judge, but I think I just want to see them, you know, 11 hats on the ball, uh, really playing physically, just look like a team that wants it. Because I think with that disheartening game against Georgia, they, they just didn't look like they were really, you know, hungry, like they really wanted it. Um, and I want to see that physicality that that Oregon has, has tried to pride themselves on for a while. Um, but I feel like from a defensive standpoint, it really hasn't been there, except for maybe Justin Flo's hit on Stetson Bennett last week, uh, which was just massive. Um but, uh, but I think that, yeah, the, the, the communication is definitely uh, a little bit of a concern going into this game. And uh, maybe it's just part of the growing pains of a new scheme, new coaching staff, and then some new guys being added into the fold. True. And I think it'll definitely help uh, being at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. I think they'll be juiced up and be ready to go. They'll have a full crowd. So 
Um, I, I, I see it as the, they'll should be able to bounce back a little bit better from the communication issues they had down in Atlanta. But uh, I definitely think being at home with the, that rowdy Ducks uh, fan base and all the yellow in the stands uh, should, should help those guys out a little bit. Yeah, and, and another thing, Andrew, that I think would really help this defense kind of get some confidence and get head in the right direction, force some turnovers, man. I mean, when, when we saw Noah Sewell and Justin Flo last play at Austin Stadium together against Fresno State, it was like left and right, force fumbles, force fumbles. So yep. I think that that's going to be huge. They didn't force any takeaways against Georgia, so they're going to have to capitalize on those opportunities. If they do get a, a turnover, make some points on the other end because obviously the scoreboard was not Oregon's friend last week. Um, kind of have a couple of quick questions that we can use to wrap up here. Another one from Gerard. Uh, what would Eastern Washington need to have happen to steal a win in Eugene? Uh, Andrew, you want to take this one first? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot that they would need. Um, I think that I'll, I'll, I'll break it down in three, in three key points. The first one, they need Gunnar Talkington to be the big sky offensive player of the week again. They need him to do exactly what he did on Saturday, not turn the ball over, force his way out of sacks, be mobile, pick up yards on the ground, and then just be as efficient as he was on Saturday against Tennessee State. If he can do that, there's definitely going to be pressure put on this Oregon defense, no matter how good they are, no matter how big and strong they are. um, It'll definitely be a thing. On defense, they need to tackle. They need to tackle. And they need to tackle way better than they did on Saturday if they want to win this game. It'll be interesting to see if they're able to do that. It's going to be a lot more difficult because they're going to have a lot of big bodies coming at them, a lot of strong uh, athletes on that Oregon uh, offense. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see if Eastern Washington if Eastern Washington can do that. And they also, of course, need to force Bo Nix to turn the ball over. I, there's no way they win this game if Bo Nix doesn't turn the ball over. They need to force turnovers. They need to put the ball back in their offense's hands. And if they do that, there is a chance that they could shock the world. And then special teams. Eastern is having a lot of issues kicking field goals, and they need to figure that out because especially in a game against a Power 5 team, it may be more difficult to get in the end zone than it would be against, you know, the Montana States of the world, the Utah States, Weber States. So they're going to need to have a good game from their kicker uh, right now it's Seth Harrison, but he's been very inconsistent. They might have to go in a different direction there. Uh, really a lot of, uh, a lot of issues in the kicking game so far for Eastern Washington. We talked to coach best yesterday and he made a big point about how they kicked the extra point on that last drive. Like that's something that wasn't a given, uh, for them. So definitely need to get better in the kicking game as well. If they, if they want to have success on Saturday. Okay, yeah. So some of those those are the answers I think were, were expected. You know, forcing turnovers is always going to be big. Uh, you know, creating opportunities for your team that maybe weren't there previously. Uh, I know for Oregon, um, with their special teams, they, they probably saw too much of their special teams. You know, they saw punt after punt, and then they weren't able to get off the field on third down. There was a point when Georgia had converted seven straight drives into scoring touchdowns. So I know that Oregon's defense has to shore up on third down. And a lot of that really starts with having better play on first and second down. So you could put your opponent in difficult situations um, when they're not able to just kind of outmuscle you and, you know, have maybe easier plays um, down the line to just kind of move the chains. So I think I agree with a lot of your points. Uh, a lot of the offensive efforts obviously start with, with Gunnar Talkington and getting some of those weapons involved um, for Eastern. 
And, uh, you know, the, the margin of error, it kind of feels like Eastern, uh, you know, Eastern kind of probably feels like Oregon going into the Georgia game. You know, the margin for error isn't that big. Um, so I think that, you know, they're going to need the ball to go a couple of, uh, you know, calls to maybe go their way or a couple of, uh, you know, fumbles to, to go their way or get some interceptions like you were mentioning to, to come away with a win. Um, one more question that we wanted to, I wanted to hit on here. I always like to talk about recruiting the ducks. did get a commitment from four-star edge rusher, uh, Blake purchase out of Colorado last night. So that was some big news. Uh, we have the story over on ducks digest. If you want to read that one, but Cameron Matthew asked, do you think if we have a losing season, will the recruits that are committed to Oregon stay committed? Uh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I think for me, I, I don't think it's, you know, at the point where you should be thinking about having a losing season. I think Oregon's schedule shapes up pretty nice uh, to at least have a winning season and, you know, be bowl eligible. Um, but I think that, you know, recruits, they're not always, I think sometimes people, when they're looking at recruiting, they think that they put too much stock into what the on-field product is, um, you know, in the you know immediacy of, you know, this season. Um, this is also Dan Lanning's first season. So I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I feel like it's a little bit harder to evaluate, uh, you know, a coach just in year one. So, I mean, if they did have a losing season, I think that some recruits would would probably decommit. But right now, I, I really don't think that a losing season should be at the forefront of Oregon fans' minds because, like I said, the, the schedule uh, only gets easier moving on from Georgia. Yeah, I, I don't think it's something you need to worry about right now. And I, I noticed the other comments, like how much rope does Bo Nix have? I, I think it's way too early to be to be worrying about that. Obviously, you know, on Saturday, would it have been nice to see Ty Thompson a little bit? Maybe. I, I definitely think so. But uh, I think Bo Nix is the guy. He was brought in here for a reason. And I, I think that he will be the quarterback going forward. And I would not expect Oregon to have a losing season this year. I, I certainly don't think so. Yes, week one was bad. But yes, Georgia is very, very good. So, I think uh, it, as as doom and gloom as it looks right now in Eugene, I, I definitely think there are better days ahead. Um, but like I've said all along, they they certainly can't look past the Eags uh, on Saturday. Yeah, and just to give my two cents on this question, I, I feel like Bo is going to be the quarterback for, for this team. Uh, definitely, uh, there, I can understand the frustration about not seeing him, uh, not seeing a new quarterback uh, come in when when last week's game was as out of reach as it was. Um, but, you know, Lanning has communicated that he's going to be the quarterback, uh, you know, other teammates, I think Sean Dollars was talking this week about, you know, Bo, Bo's our quarterback and, you know, we believe in him, uh, all the right things that you want to be hearing, you know, supporting a quarterback. Um, so I think this will be a, a good, uh, prove it game for Bo just to kind of get him in a groove. Uh, I feel like Oregon should handle this game, but, um, I, I could still see there being, you know, some, some, uh, speed bumps, you know, some hiccups along the way, but I think they're definitely going to look better than Georgia. Uh, better than they did against Georgia, rather. Um, so I'm still working on my final score prediction, but I, I think I see Oregon oh, probably winning come by on, like Max. Come what, on, do you, do you have yours? We can, we can do it. I mean, for me, I think I really do. I really am a believer in Eastern Washington's offense. I think they're going to score, um, but I Oregon's offense is just going to have a field day. I believe uh, on on Saturday. I think it'll be. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 59 to 34 final score. So Eastern will put up points. I believe a lot of that might come late. So I don't want to scare Oregon fans thinking that, oh, my gosh, we're going to give up 34 points to this little school out in Cheney, Washington. Um, 
but they are real. And and I think it's something that, that Oregon's going to have to deal with. So I think it's going to be 59 to 34 uh, Oregon victory on Saturday. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm in the same neighborhood as far as like you know three scores. I think is probably what we're gonna see uh, the score differential being. So maybe like forty two twenty one or like you know forty five twenty seven, maybe something like that. I, I still need to get that story up on Ducks Digest. I've been a little bit behind today, but yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and say Oregon by three scores. Uh, Andrew, you've been so generous with your time today. Really appreciate you hopping on and join the show, man. Um, where can people find more of you if they want to learn more about the, the Eags and, and kind of just the coverage that you've been able to do so far this season? Uh, yeah, for sure. So I, I'm up here on Krem 2 here in Spokane, Washington. You can follow me on Twitter, at uh, Andrew Quinney. It's just my name with a Y at the end. Uh, I'll be posting up uh, weekly updates on the Eags throughout the season. Um, I also cover Washington State. So if any of you are interested in that uh, later on in the season, I'm sure I'll be talking to Max again. Uh, when Oregon comes to Pullman to take on the Cougs. So uh, uh, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. And uh, thanks thanks to all the guys who commented in questions. And uh, looking forward to Saturday. Absolutely. Well, it was a blast having you on, Andrew. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter, at Sports. that name right there on your screen. If you guys are still watching on the live show, do me a quick favor. Take two seconds out of your day. Smash the like button and smash the subscribe button. It is a tremendous help to what I'm doing covering the Oregon Ducks. And the biggest way you can support the show is by sharing it with other Duck fans, with your friends and family. Maybe take their phones and subscribe to the channel, follow the podcast. Don't do anything too crazy. Uh, But really appreciate you guys tuning in uh, to this game. Going to be really fun to be back at Autzen this Saturday. Um, Excited to cover that game. Make sure everyone stays hydrated, stays cool. Uh, But that'll do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, taking some time out of your day to talk some ball with us. And we will see you in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.